Boy, rock and roll does not get any better than that, I tell you. That's amazing. What an amazing song, too. And we're going to talk about that today. We're going to talk about relationships. Now, that clip that you saw was at the beginning of Brian Piccolo and Gail Sayers' relationship. And they did not have a good one. They were both competing. Steve went through that. One guy, an African-American, grew up in the hood. That was Gail Sayers. Brian Piccolo, southern white boy, Wake Forest. Both heavily recruited. They come out. They're both on the same team. Now, that was the only team for Piccolo, okay? And he was really happy to be on the Bears. He was going to be the back. All of a sudden, Sayers had three pro teams wanting him. Three. And he happened to chose choose the Chicago Bears because he felt that at that time, it was in the early 60s, that that's where there was more opportunity for a black man. Now, they meet, Sayers gets out of the cab, and Piccolo, as you saw, a real gregarious kind of a guy, right? So Piccolo gets in his face, and Sayers, just like that, in the same way, Piccolo goes, wow, I remember you, I met you with the All-American game, we had that incredible conversation. You remember it? Sayers is just standing there. He goes, it was so inspiring for me. I told you about myself. I, you know what you had to say that I remember now to the rest, for the rest of my life I'll remember this. And Sayers said to him, uh-huh. And that's what Piccolo said that Sayers had said. Uh-huh. That's how their relationship began. But what was happening is that that point in time was the beginning of, the, of a huge upheaval in our culture, the civil rights movement. And, um, of course, Gail Sayers was really conflicted that he, he should be out because he was so well-known. He should be out really putting forth in that cause. And uh, the uh, Chicago Bears came up with this bright idea that was revolutionary for the NFL at the time. And that is they weren't going to put race together black and white, or black in one place and white in another place. But they were going to have the players room by position. Well, obviously that told Piccolo that he made the team because he roomed with Sayers. But boy, they just did not get along. So sure enough, they go through rookie camp, they're competing. Piccolo wants the nod for a start, and Sayers wants a nod for the start. Well, who do you think gets the start? Gail Sayers, okay, and rightfully so. He's one of the greatest running backs in NFL history. And some people say he's right up there, maybe the top two, three, or four in history. Well, Sayers gets the nod, and sure enough, his first kickoff, he runs, touchdown. And, you know, just, just an incredible guy. You know, he'd move this way, he'd go that way, and he's still talked about today. So, season goes on, time goes on, and what happens? Sayers blows his knee out. He was going to quit. His career was over. He didn't talk to his wife, didn't talk to anybody. Piccolo came over. He said, you are going to get better because I don't want just people to assume that because you're hurt, I get this position. I want to earn it. And so Brian Piccolo became an inspirational friend to Gail Sayers, but it really wasn't, it was with a vested interest because he wanted to compete against Gail Sayers. Okay, that goes on, and sure enough, Gail Sayers gets rehabilitated. Much thanks to Brian Piccolo, it really wouldn't have happened. Sayers, in his own book, said that he, he would not have 
gone through that without Brian Piccolo. Okay? Next season, Sayers gets the nod again. Okay, they play. George Hallis, the owner and coach of the Chicago Bears, comes into the locker room, says, Brian, we don't need another halfback. This guy who's coming up, I think I'm going to put him at, uh, at halfback. Sayers and Piccolo are together. By now, their relationship is you know, kind of gelling. <sighs> Piccolo hangs his head. Sayers hangs his head because they know what's coming. They think, right, he's going to be cut. Well, guess what happened? Uh, George Hallis said, and Brian, that's because I want you as fullback. Now, Gail Sayers and Brian Piccolo were in the backfield together running the ball. And boy, their friendship just went into overdrive, getting together with their wives, you know, so on and so forth. So the story goes on. I'm just trying to contextualize this for you a little bit. Story goes on, and Brian Piccolo develops cough. And he's not the kind of guy that gave up easily. He started each season really strong, and it didn't happen this season. So Hallis, make a long story short, sent him back to Chicago when he was on the road, went to a hospital to get tested, and they found that it was cancer. And their relationship had developed to such a point. You saw them on the field together. Take a look at this. Amazing, 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 amazing. There's, uh, there's no black man from the hood and a white southern boy there, was there? There was no color. There was no history. Those guys were friends. And relationships like that take a lot of work. Okay? They had to work at that relationship, and they were in an environment where they, they were forced to um, do that, to, to work on it. So we're going to talk about relationships. And we all have them. No matter what, we all have them. You know, you're seeing two guys here, okay? They're in one of the meanest and toughest professions that there is. That ain't no wimp up there, Mr. Sayers. He's a man. And that man was actually tender in front of all his peers, other tough, mean guys, guys in the business, okay? There weren't just the football players. There were guys there in the business. And he was tender, because he had such a strong, caring, intimate relationship with his friend, Brian Piccolo. We all have relationships, and what we are going to talk about is how to go deeper in our relationships, because we're pretty good at the other kind, some of us. Some of us maybe need to work on that too, but there's basically, I I put it down into three different types of relationships, and here's some key thoughts. The first one is this. Relationships bring meaning to life. Okay, now, three types of relationships. We first have what we normally refer to as a casual relationship. The clerk that you see in the grocery store when you do your shopping, the the, the man or the woman that you coach your child's soccer or baseball team with, Um, the person that you just happen to see because you're in the same activity together, whatever. That's called a casual relationship. And yes, there's rules of manners and respect and things like that that are very important to to go with, but that is a casual relationship. And that's important. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that. All right? There's nothing wrong, for instance, in business to schmooze, all right? Because it might help you get somewhere. It's how you approach it, of course, but those relationships, those type of relationships are important too. The second is one that's kind of not optional, (laughs) and that's family. We're born into a family. Um, 
you know, we, we're married, and boy, we can, you know how, how marriage goes. Sometimes it's really rough, and, and yet those are, the, those are the relationships that we're forced into because of birth or, or, or choice, and we're there, and we work through these relationships. Those tend to be more of the intimate type. The third is what I would call our business relationships or our work relationships, the people that you work with during the day, whether they're your associates or if you're an employer, your employees. If you're an employee, your employer. So it works all different kinds of ways. And all those relationships are important. However, what we do is given much more meaning if we are in relationship with people. It's very, very important that we understand this because we can be so busy doing our own thing and getting to where we got to go that we forget about relationships. So here's some key thoughts again. I, the first one's up there. Relationships bring meaning to life. Now, we all have our things that we do, okay? We get up in the morning, we go to work, we go to school. That's great, and, and we do this. But what I'm suggesting is that if we have relationships in the midst of that, it makes it a lot more meaningful. In fact, Harriet Lerner, she's a, a very well-known, uh, considered an expert uh, on relationships in this country. She says the following, Intimate relationships cannot substitute for a life plan, but to have any meaning or viability at all, a life plan must include intimate relationships. Very, very, very interesting. You know, um, I'm a rock. I'm an island. A rock never cries, or, or no, a rock feels no pain and an island never cries, right? Well, I've been there and I've done that, all right? I've started businesses, and you don't start, start a business, build them up, and then turn them over. You don't do that by not putting your head through a brick wall. And relationships, okay, but I did it myself. That's, that was my attitude, but it's only been the last three to four years that I'm learning how important relationships are. Indeed, that's what God is about. And we're going to talk about that a little bit. So we really uh, we need to understand that life is much more. It's much, much more than just doing our thing in whatever we do. Here's another quote from Aristotle, and I think this just really sums it up. And some of us can probably relate to this. And that's this. He who is unable to live in society or who has no need because he's sufficient for himself must be either a beast or a god. And we, we know that. In fact, sometimes we're like that. Okay, we can go in and out of that. Either being a beast or being so full of ourselves, we think we're a god. So the problem is, though, is that we really do need each other. Now, the second thing is not only do relationships bring meaning to life, but they facilitate the process of life. What the heck do I mean when I say it facilitates the process of life? Well, it means that we need each other. When I was um, in business on, on Fifth Avenue, I had something on my desk that was very, very, very important to me. And, it, and it's this quote here. It's from the Bible, the book of Ecclesiastes. It says this. Two people can accomplish more than twice as much as one. They get, better, they get a better return for their labor. If one person fails, the other can reach out and help. But people who are alone when they fall are in real trouble. And on a cold night, two under the same blanket 
can gain warmth from each other, but how can one be warm alone? A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better, for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. I had a partner in business, and that partner and I, every single morning before we started our day, got together from 15 minutes to an hour just to talk and to pray. There's problems all the time. So we just, we talked about those problems and we were watching each other's back and that's how we went about it. We were in relationship. It was a business relationship. It developed into a friendship, no doubt, a a very strong friendship. But we were together and it made it so so much easier because you knew if you were down, you have the other person. The other person was down here and that happened an awful lot. So that's what I mean when it says it facilitates the process of life. You know, there's, there's really nothing wrong with that. It's not using people to, if, if you're an employer or if you're an employee, whatever. It's nothing wrong with having relationships to facilitate business. Good business really is about relationships. And even in school, studying together, um, there's, there's all kinds of things that relationships really build. In fact, Stephen Covey um, makes a a very, very, very interesting quote. Now, we probably know Stephen Covey. He he wrote The Seven Habits of Highly Effective People, Seven Habits of Highly Effective Families. But there's one book that he wrote that is is just really super. It's called Principled-Centered Leadership. And here's a quote. A cardinal principle of total quality, which is basically his system of, of, of management, escapes too many managers. You cannot continuously improve interdependent systems and processes until you progressively perfect interdependent interpersonal relationships. Here's this guy who's known uh, you know, as a leader and, and business principles, and he's saying that we really need to have these relationships even as a practical way. So that's, that's just a little bit of an example of how relationships actually facilitate the process of life. And then the third thing are, and this is just amazing, and, and really what I, I just w- want us to hear, I need to hear this so much, relationships are what God is all about. Wow. You know, it's interesting. Um, you have the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But back in the Hebrew Bible, in the book of Genesis, before the New Testament was written, before Jesus came to the earth, in Genesis one twenty six. It says this, let us create man, let us make people in our image to be like ourselves. Who's us? That was God talking. Interesting, isn't it? Let us make man in our image. The original language in the Hebrew is a plurality. The Godhead is a plurality, even in the Hebrew Bible relationship. God is in relationship. And not only that, but then Jesus came to the earth. And the Bible says that Jesus is the exact representation of God's nature. And when he came to the earth, he loved people. And he, God, sent Jesus to seek us out. And he's still doing that today by his Holy Spirit. He's seeking us out. You know what Jesus said? Talk about relationship. He said, come unto me, 
all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. You know the whole thing with the plowing, the oxen in the fields? Well, there's a yoke, and then there's somebody behind that plowing. And learn of me, for I am gentle and lowly of heart, and you'll find rest for your soul. If that isn't relationship, I don't know what is. And I remember, I remember when, when that happened to me. And it was the most extraordinary thing that ever happened in my life. You see, I didn't believe in God. And I thought anybody that believed in God was a moron, and I told them so. And I was in all these debates about you know, how only 5% of our brain is really developed, and we got to you know, wait until the evolutionary process develops the rest of it, and then we'll understand things, and you're basically just creating this junk to make excuses. You know, you can't explain it, so you make excuses, you Christians, you know, and, and I, just, I just could not stand Christians. <laughs> but guess what got me? Love. Love. I had people that I would antagonize, and they loved me. They really did. It was just amazing. I don't want to get off the subject here, but it is pretty cool. He actively wants to be in a relationship with us. He seeks us out, all right? And we may be at different places with that, okay? It's okay if you're just taking a look. It's okay. But as far as God seeking us out, you know where you're at with that. There's something that nobody can tell you. There's something that you just can't understand, but it's, there's something. There's something there, both inside you, but guess what? Also outside you. I remember when somebody told me that. I remember when you know, people were telling me, yeah, it's this or it's that, and you got to do this, you got to do that. But you know what? Somebody else told me, it's not in any kind of a system, but it's a relationship with the Creator. It's a relationship with the Creator. It's about love. Now, how do we go about this thing of relationships, okay? Now we're just going to move to the next thing. We've talked about what relationships do. Now, how do we go about it, all right? It's confusing sometimes. Let's face it. Relationships are very, very tough. Even casual relationships are tough sometimes. So what is our goal, all right? How do we go about this? What facilitates powerful and meaningful relationships. How do we, now listen to this, I'm going to run through this quick. How do we listen, empathize, understand, be patient, be open-minded, selfless, become willing to learn, accountable, loyal, kind, gentle, and firm, even when we don't feel like it? (sighs) I don't know. That's a tough one. But those are the qualities that we need. And there's, there's, again, three things. And you may be surprised at this first one. But the first thing that I think is really, really important about this, going about this thing of relationships, you might say has nothing to do with relationships. And that's this, making time for yourself. Now, some of you, that comes very, very easily. God bless you. It did not come easy to me. I had people ask me, this was going back about four or five years ago, and they said, Park, do you make time for yourself? I looked at him. I said, what are you talking about? I don't have any time for myself. You know, I, I go to work. There were sometimes I was in work literally at 3 or 4 in the morning, come home 9 to 10 at night. 
I'd make sure, though, on baseball days for my, my son and my daughter that I would leave the office by 3. But then again, I was out there. I was just coaching. I'd come home. You know, I'd just be exhausted. I didn't know what it was to make time for myself. So I'd just keep going on and on and on. And uh, I had to learn what that means. So the interesting thing is, is that when you make time for yourself, if you can read up here on the screen, be so that you can do. Now, I know... That's a very foreign concept. What the heck is he talking about? Is this some weird psychology stuff? Be before you do? Well, no. And I think each of us really knows what that means. Be before you do. It's not saying that working that much is wrong. Now, there are some people that say that, that if you bust your hump, you go out there and you work really hard and you work 12 hours or 14 hours a day, there's something wrong with that. I don't think there is. I think there's a time and a place for that. And it's okay if you disagree with that. Probably better relationally oriented than I am. But the point is, is that it, there's nothing wrong with going about what you do, but it's where you're coming from in your heart that really matters. So be before you do. Now, what do I mean? Again, we can be so busy doing things that... We really get to the point, and I don't care if it's a guy or a girl, right? Uh, you know, there's, there's really no difference, and I don't think there ever was a difference, that, in, in this sense anyway, that we measure ourselves by our performance. So you'll be going on and on and on and on, and you, know, you do this long enough. Well, I'm, believe it or not, I'm going to be 50 this year. I can't believe it. I still feel like I'm, well, maybe not 20, but like 25. At least mentally I feel that way. Um, and I hope to get a body a little bit you know, back into that shape eventually. But um, it, it really is amazing. Um, I just lost totally my train of thought. So let me <laughs> find out here. Um, yeah, it's, it's amazing. When you, when you get to be 50, you can look back and you say, well, what was I doing? Why was I doing what I was doing? You know, I don't know, but I don't really think, you better ask my wife and my kids, but I don't think I've had a midlife crisis, maybe yet or whatever. The closest thing I got to it is I went out and I bought this Tonka toy truck. And I just bought it two weeks ago. It's, a, it's an incredible Ford F-150 King Ranch um, truck, and it's got all the, the leather. It's got the sound system. You know, I just really treated myself. And then I went out and bought a snowplow for it. And so last week I was snowplowing. From noon on Saturday till four in the afternoon on Sunday with maybe two, three hours sleep in between. And I tell you, I just really enjoyed it. I came over, I plowed Rich out so he could get to church, and it was amazing how many of you made it. But then I just went back and kept snow plowing. But it's important that we have meaning in our lives. I don't want to belabor this point, but be before we do. Now, it is a discipline that we take that time, and um, we, we need to exist in love. The second thing is, we need to make time for others, all right? Very, very, very important that we need to make time for others. We need to be intentional about the quality time with a few others, not a whole bunch of people, okay? We have this idea that we have to be friends to everybody, or we have this idea, I don't want to be friends with anybody, okay? And some of us are in different places. Some of us can relate to the first. Some of us can relate to the second one. Uh, me? I could relate to the second one. I didn't want to expose myself and invest myself in people. I'll just get burned again, right? I mean, you know, that's what happens, isn't it? Well, you know what? So what? 
So what? That's what I found out. You still invest. It's very, very important to make that time to invest in others. Here's an interesting thing from George Washington. Take a look at this quote. Be courteous to all, but intimate with few, and let those few be well tried before you give them your confidence. True friendship is a plant of slow growth and must undergo and withstand the shocks of adversity before it is entitled to the Appalachians. Now, I didn't know what Appalachian meant, and I'm, I'm a fairly educated guy, so I put name. That's what that means, the name of friendship, okay? Um, it's saying here that friendship does, it can't be treated casually. It's an investment, and it needs to be tested. It needs to be proved. That's what I'm talking about. That's hard work. Now, the problem is uh, we have tea at 10 on Fridays, okay? And what's really interesting, there's some incredible thoughts that, that come out of that. Um, and, and again, it's in being other-centered, and this is what we were talking about. And um, I, I, I want to give a quote about what prevents us from being other-centered, and can you guess what that is? Sydney Madwed calls it the eye disease. In being other-centered, we need to get rid of the eye disease. Listen to this quote from Sydney Madwed. He's a poet, by the way. As bad as physical diseases for the eyes, there is another disease which can ruin your relationships, and it's the eye disease, where your conversation contains the word I, me, my, and mine every eight to ten words. If these words were removed from most people's conversation, they would have nothing to say. Now listen, some of us are in places where it's really important to talk about yourself. Try to figure things out, what's going on. There's nothing wrong with that, and I don't mean to imply that it's bad talking about yourself. What I am saying is that we eventually do need to get beyond ourselves and seek out some, a few of those kinds of relationships Here's the quote at, at uh, T to 10. We try to satisfy our people needs with many superficial things in relationships and thereby have no time or room for something deeper. And that same lady who made that quote came up to me this morning and she was laughing. She said, Park, she said, look what I just found in today's New York Times. Let me read this to you. This is from this morning. Friendship is a pretty full-time, pretty full-time occupation, Truman Capote once said, which is why in a society as careerist as, ours, our, as our work associations have replaced the intimacy of real friendships. Suzanne Gluck, co-head of the literary department at William Morris, said she can get through a whole season thinking she has been socializing with her friends when they are actually just her colleagues. Who has time for anything else, she said. Maybe it all just comes down to functionality. What do you need friends for? Not to pick you up at the airport. That's what drivers are for. Not for lending an ear or a shoulder to cry on about your spouse. That's what therapists are for. Not to bring your groceries for you when you're sick in bed. There's Fresh Direct for that and not even for attending your party with bells on unless you're Donald Trump marrying in Palm Beach. The last time I tried to give a big birthday party for myself so that all my wonderful friends could get to know one another, half didn't even show up. 
and heaven help the friend who tries to get me to stick around the city on the weekend for a party. Yet, according to all studies cited in Time Magazine article on happiness, friends do matter, and strong personal relationships guarantee a satisfying life. Very, very interesting. That's from today. You know, we busy ourselves so much that we forget about something that is very, very, very important. And that goes to the next thing about making time for love. What? What does that mean? That's almost as weird as being before doing. And I'm not talking about lovemaking, although that's a part of love. What I am talking about is existing in love. And if we get anything today, this is what I think is the most important part of today's message, living in love. What the heck does that mean? Well, before I go into that, I, I really don't like Steve Martin that much. I just, you know, I, but I loved the movie he was in, The Jerk, and I loved Steve Martin in that movie. Um, has everybody seen that? Uh, what an incredibly funny, funny movie. And there's this one scene, you know, Steve Martin was a little mentally challenged in that movie, and uh, he, he, he was at a carnival, and he was at this booth where he guessed weights, and somebody came up and said, what do I get? What kind of prize do I get if you don't guess my weight? So Steve Martin said, well, he said, here up on the wall, you get all, any prize from here to here. Uh, from here to here and here to here, right here, you get this prize. Isn't that the way that we treat love sometimes? It's just that little itty-bitty thing. We'll never deny that love is important, right? Oh, of course not. Of course not. Love's important. But let's get on to the rest of the stuff, right? Well, you know what? Love is this big, huge wall. In fact, it's so huge, the Bible says God is love. Whoa. You know, I told you, I had some preconceptions about God, right? The biggest one is that he didn't exist. (laughs) But all of us here today come here with preconceived ideas about God. Right? Some of us are figuring it out. Some of us think we have it figured out. God forbid. You know, I crossed that line of faith 30 years ago. And it's only been recently that I believe that I'm just starting to know what God is about. And God is about love. If you want to know who God is, know what love is. It's that simple. It really is. It's not doing the right thing all the time. We're so, so concerned about getting it right, having the right theology, putting this plastic smile on when you're hurting inside. That's not what God's about. God is about love. And to that, in making time for love, I'm going to read a very, very, very popular verse. You may have heard it before. Some of you, you may be hearing this for the first time. But listen to this. If I speak in the tongues of uh, if, if I could speak in any language in heaven or on earth, but don't love others, 
I would only be making meaningless noise like a loud gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I knew all the mysteries of the future and knew everything about everything but didn't love others, what good would I be? And if I had the gift of faith so that I could speak to a mountain and make it move without love, I would be no good to anybody. If I gave everything to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would be of no value whatsoever. Do you see? It's not about what we do. It's about who we are. It's about being before we do. It's about loving. That's what God cares about. It is that simple. And he made that possible by obliterating that veil that kept us from him. He has made it possible by sending his son, Jesus, to the earth, his exact representation of his nature. And he went to the cross and died for us so that that power that confuses us, that keeps us from him, was wiped out. And now we have access to the creator of the universe who is love. Now, I just have one more thing, actually two. I want to reinterpret that verse. And you can reinterpret it wherever you are. Just listen to this. If I make a presentation to my, vo- my boss that impresses him or her beyond belief and winds up winning us a huge contract or amount of business but have not love, it profits me nothing. If I make the most incredible speech and people are wowed by it, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. If I score 1,600 on my SATs and get into the best college in the country, but I have not love, I am nothing. If I achieve all the goals that I have set before me and I'm able to retire on easy street or do whatever I want because I can, but I don't have love, it profits me nothing. Very interesting. Now, we're almost done here, but what is love? Here are the elements of love. And if you want to know who God is, all right, forget all this stuff about God makes us do this and he makes us do that or he's got a lightning bolt. This is what God's about. Love, or God, is patient, kind, Not jealous, not boastful, not proud, not rude. Love does not demand its own way. Neither does God, by the way. It's not irritable, keeps no record of when wronged, is never glad about injustice, is glad when the truth wins out. Love never gives up. That's not an easy thing. All right? We think love is an easy emotion sometimes. This says love never gives up. Sometimes it's tough. But love does not give up. Never loses faith, is always hopeful, and endures through every circumstance. It's very interesting. That's what love is. So God is love. He expresses that love in relationship with us. He wants a relationship with us. And I just want to read this last thing, if the band can come on up. 
And I just want to read the bottom line. And the bottom line is this. If we want more power in our lives, more meaning, more fulfillment in our relationships, we need to pay attention to our relationship with ourself, with others, and most importantly, and from which everything else actually springs from, our relationship with God. You know, we heard the song, and I just want to read the refrain again with a chorus. Listen to these words. If you can identify them, with them rather, there's an answer. And we at least know a lot of people like this. And it's this, my shadows, the only one that walks beside me. My shallow heart's the only thing that's beating. Sometimes I wish someone out there will find me. Till then, I walk alone. It doesn't have to be that way. It really doesn't. But it takes effort. It takes asking God to let that happen. Let's stand up and we'll pray. Lord, thank you so much for love. We have all these ideas about you, but we know that you care, that you love, and all those things that we, that we just read. We pray that you'd make that more and more real to us each day of our lives. And we thank you for each other here at Renaissance, where we really try to, to live out that authenticity of faith. Lord, thank you for the weekend, and, and we do thank you for the snow outside and for what we have left of our Sunday. As we go now, help us to live in love. In Jesus' name, amen.